Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific series. As in Voice of Fintech podcast so far, here you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, investors, ecosystem hub leaders from or close to the world of fintech. Asia Pacific series will be hosted by amazing hosts based in the region, speaking to the leaders from Asia Pacific. Here is another one hosted by Angela. Angela, co-founder and CEO of Nataram, and today's host of Voice of Fintech Asia Pacific. Today on the show, I have Chang. He is the CEO and co-founder of Intellex. Intellex is a legal knowledge management platform provider which automates document categorization and converts its clients' information and assets into ready-used materials that can be searched more easily. This technology has the potential to disrupt the multi-billion-dollar legal services industry, and is using some very smart tech. To- Welcome, Chang, to the show. Hi, Angela. Thanks for having me. Great to have you here, Chang. So I understand you are actually a trained lawyer. When did it become apparent to you that the world needed intellects? That was when I was still practicing as a lawyer, as a very junior lawyer. So when I was spending a lot of time trying to look for information and I asked myself the question, why is there such a huge divide between my personal life where I can get access to things like Google and in my enterprise itself when I'm back at work? the amount of the type of technology that I was being exposed to is just too jarring. So I thought I would have hope to have some of the technology I enjoy as a consumer in my professional world. And that is a really good motivator. So how did you actually start? What was the starting point with Intellects and what was the first product that you launched to market? Yeah, this I've repeated this story many times, but and every time I repeat this story, I still I can still feel the that moment when I was in office at about 2 a.m and was deciding whether I should go home or stay on to do a piece of research. And I asked myself, the firm is so big, someone in this room must have done this before. But then the question will be, it's hidden somewhere. And how can I retrieve it with technology? And I eventually decided to go home and not complete that piece of work and do it another day. But the idea of building such technology to search through what has been done before kept with me. And subsequently, after law practice, I actually joined the Prime Minister's office to do venture capital investments and startup-related policy. And that's when I got the opportunity to get in touch with academics, professors who are developing cutting-edge technology. And I started to learn more about search algorithms, NLP, uh, machine learning models. Uh, that was about 10, 10, 10 years ago. And that fascinated me. And I asked myself, what if this te- these technologies can be applied into the legal world where what junior lawyers do most of the time is to retrieve information uh, that's hidden somewhere. Can we apply some of these technologies into that space to facilitate the work that's being done? So that's how Intellects got, got started. And I hear there's quite an interesting story around the name of Intellects with many L's in the name. Um, can you enlighten us on the, uh, the early naming phase of the business? Oh, yes, because this legal tech company, legal rec tech company, Many people tell us, you know, lawyers are not used to change, are resistant to technology. And we thought it's important for us to stress the idea of having a community to bring about uh, technological change. Therefore, we thought of having three L's in our name to remind ourselves and our community that in order for change to happen, the legal fraternity, the law school, the law firms, and the law courts must come together to promote the change. 
And I think this is something that's very core uh, to the mission that we, we embarked on. So it's reflected in intellects, intelligent law, but must be backed by the three L's, law schools, law firms, and law courts. Interesting. So you, I think you talk about innovation with such passion, but did you ever, did you have the same passion for the legal fraternity when you were working with the law? Do you miss the law at all or are you really happy in the uh, innovation? I, I think I'm happy in, in both spaces. I still actually keep up with the law uh, very frequently. I read the Singapore Law Watch every day and I pay attention to my classmates or other practitioners, legal updates about the latest cases, the latest disputes and new positions in the law. So I guess from that, you can say that I'm still sufficiently interested in the law. I think uh, once a lawyer, always a lawyer, they say. So let's just have a chat about your time in the venture capital uh, system in Singapore. So you were working for the, in the innovation space there. So what considerations did you have when you were helping to put together the, the venture capital system in Singapore, which so many startup founders now are reliant on in terms of the space? And I think really the Singapore uh, Venture Capital Society is really the envy of the region. So what were some of the considerations you had when you were putting together this framework? I think it was a lot of serendipity that uh, I got involved in the tech industry and the venture capital industry. So that was about slightly more than 10, 10 years ago, uh, I joined the National Research Foundation, which was one of the government agencies under the Prime Minister's office. And my team, the Innovation and Enterprise team, was tasked to build up the National Framework for Innovation and Enterprise. So part of it includes commercialization of university research, developing the venture capital ecosystem in Singapore, which includes direct investments into incubation and their investing companies and being limited partners in venture capital funds. So that was, that was also the time when more university graduates are willing to take the plunge and build startups. The, the time when I joined NRF was also about the same time where the founders at Carousel, the founders of Grab started there. I remember meeting the founders of Carousel and Red Mart when they just when they just started out. And of course the founders of, of Ninja Band, which was invested, co-invested by NRF and one of the venture capital firm partners of NRF back then. That experience uh, was great. And I was there for about four years. And, and four years I see the regional startup ecosystem actually progressing towards uh, to, to a stage whereby it's getting increasingly mature. Indonesia became mature, there's Gojek, Thailand, Hong Kong, the rise of fintech as well in 2014, 2015. That was when I actually asked myself, uh, do I still want to be a policymaker or do I want to walk the talk? And join. It's great you've joined in and I think you've really made a, a dent in this knowledge management space. Speaking of new beginnings, so I think within what you're doing at Intellect, you've also launched a new product really recently, finreg.sg, uh, which is really exciting. So I guess you're always keeping innovating at Intellects. Tell us a bit about FinReg and how it started and, and how it works. Yeah, so actually, again, I think uh, a, lot of, a, a lot of happenings in the startup ecosystem is serendipitous. In 2020, Intellects was invited to work on a financial services regulation KM product by a Metric Circle client. And we were first introduced to the regulatory advisory and compliance space. So after that, we started to see a surge in the number of queries coming to us during COVID from specifically fintech, payments, and blockchain companies. And that includes both startups and financial institutions. They were really asking us a very simple question. Does Intellex provide smart search for fintech-related law? And we took it as indication of an untapped opportunity that we asked ourselves whether our search and categorization technology can be applied in the financial regulatory space. So 
that's why we started to spend time to learn about the Singapore fintech regulatory landscape, specifically those in payment services and crypto regulation, because Singapore has slowly become a very important destination for payment services and crypto startups. And when foreign startups want to expand into Singapore or startup in Singapore, they usually ask the first question, is whatever I'm doing regulated? And if so, what kind of license do I need? What is the regulation I must follow? And we realized that business owners, startup founders, or non-legally trained individuals have a very different way of understanding uh, regulations. It is less technical and it is often more associated with a business context that they have in mind. So that actually uh, inspired us to move into something to provide a good and easy retrieval service or, or platform uh, for both business owners and for professionals like lawyers, tax consultants, and compliance consultants. So the idea between FinRec is really to use a good search technology to really bridge the gap between knowledge of knowledge and those who need it, really. Yeah, that's right. Because because a lot of the a lot of commentaries are actually written in very strong legalese, and there is often a missing business context which. Uh, startup founders or non-technically, uh, non-legally trained individuals have in their in their minds. So what we're trying to do here is, um, we want to personalize question and answers to a particular business context. We want whatever we have written to be verified by the authorities and the professionals, so that everybody can rest assured that what they read is accurate and updated. The way we organize the content is one of our unique selling points whereby we will fit it to a mental framework uh, for individuals when they do regulatory research and organize it in a particular way that makes user int- uh, retrieval in- intuitive. So we use this by connecting the dots between what the authorities say and how it might apply to them. So that is, that's our hypothesis of how regulations work. The authorities will say something and businesses will try to see how that particular regulation apply to them. So we have designed the platform in, in that particular way. Wonderful. And I guess from your early days at Intellex, there's always the want or the need uh, to build new technology for your clients. And I guess you had an opportunity to go in many different directions. Was it really the market need or, or the feedback from your clients that really sent you in this direction? Or were there other directions you were looking at, but then this one became more promising? How did you decide to take this path? I, I guess every decision is, is, a, is a composite one. So... Like I mentioned, after we have started on understanding the financial regulation advisory space, we see more and more queries come in from fintech startups and financial institutions. Basically, they just wanted to know what can be done, what cannot be done, and what is currently unclear. And when more and more these startups come to us thinking that Intellects will be the Google to search for all laws, that presented a market opportunity. So that's why it actually motivated us to move in in that direction. And we're very glad that we're also actually supported by the government to push for this particular platform. Excellent. So I think this really speaks to a lot of junior lawyers that are in the office at two in the morning, much like you were um, many years ago. A lot of those junior lawyers, though, they undertake their legal training in private practice and they really do a lot of the grunt work in the office, but they learn a lot of the time through osmosis through being around other lawyers. So how do you feel that these kind of technologies are displacing those skills that the lawyers, the junior lawyers are learning? And how do you think the technology kind of sits in terms of what they can do in their careers to really propel themselves forward in the coming years? I think the way law is being practiced and how junior lawyers are actually learning from learning is already very disrupted by COVID because lawyers do not really go back to office now. 
So the water cooler conversations uh, become more difficult. People cannot go around, you know, knocking on each other's doors and ask, have you done this before? Can you show me a precedent? That is why we also receive increased number of queries for knowledge management. So firms are actually looking at how they can actually better support their lawyers while people are working remote. So for a junior lawyer that is actually a digital native, they are actually more used to doing searches, digital searches, either on Google or on databases to obtain information, to organize the information themselves, to self-educate before they go to a senior. So I, I guess with tools like Intellect's Knowledge Management, Intellect's Propositions, and FinRec.sg, more young lawyers are actually getting more accustomed to this way of not managing their knowledge and using the skills. They will soon realize that law practice may be distinguished into information and knowledge gathering and the experience and acumen uh, component, of which the former can be accelerated by technology and tools like FinRec.sg, whereas the latter will still require them to observe how their seniors are doing things, what are some judgments made by, by the seniors, and that will actually give them more time saved by, from gathering information and gathering information and knowledge can be used to actually learn and observe the seniors. So I guess this is the biggest breakthrough for junior lawyers when, such, when tools like Fibrate.sg is made available to them. Excellent. So it really is a multitude of approach, a multi-pronged approach for junior lawyers coming through. I guess you mentioned the COVID word, so I'll, I'll bring it up now. 2020, I guess, was a bit of a doom and gloom year for a lot of companies, but you guys had a really great year over at Intellect. So you've managed to raise your pre-A round. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And you've got some bo on board some great investors as well. How have the relationships with the investors really helped you propel forward in this next phase of the company? Yeah, so I think we are very privileged to have Thomson Reuters as one of our investors in, in our previous round. Till date, we are st still the only legal tech company in the Thomson Reuters portfolio. We have been working very closely with the Thomson Reuters team over the past about one and a half years to look into how our technologies can actually be applied in some of their products. And of course, we have been learning uh, a lot from our counterparts in, from the investment team, from understanding the professional services and content, the content creation space. And whatever we're doing in Intellects is actually to support professional services. Because at the end of the day, professional services is about the application of knowledge, application of this content. And we want to be able to be part of that process that makes the application and the retrieval easier to support professional services. It's great to hear startups and I guess multi, uh, multinational organizations aligning across a common goal. I think a lot of startups are sometimes nervous about working with large organizations, but you can say that all around it's been a real positive for intellect. Of course, initially, I think we have uh, reservations, but I guess a lot of it has got to do with what's the vision, what's the mission, and, and how everybody can work uh, well uh, with one another. So I think focusing on what, what, what is common will give all parties greater sense of security and a greater sense of camaraderie to, to work towards uh, what both parties will want. Absolutely. No, very positive outlook there. I guess I, I would really love to hear about your, I guess, your time within the venture capital um, planning space, setting the strategy, and then now you've moved into a startup yourself. How have you found the difference between actually setting the policy and then being one of those that are then having to be governed under that policy? How has that, how interesting has that process been for you? Oh, I think I will use the word real. That the process is actually very real when we decided <laughs> to step up, uh, step out of our, our, our zones to, to start a company. Because, you know, I think it's, it, we've always shared within the company that in entrepreneurship, it's a constant, it's a constant cycle of chicken and egg situation. Many a times, 
effort or planning may eventually lead to nothing. And there are three things that startups will need to do. And those are very much a chicken and egg situations. I think the first is hiring. There are many factors that come into play. Timelines of a particular talent, culture fit, skill sets fit, amount of resources that the company can provide, the desire and the character of, of the particular candidate. So hiring is one chicken and egg challenge that all founders need to face. The second one is business development. You want a customer, but the customer may not want you. So it's always a chase and persuade value creation and people to give you an opportunity. This whole cycle is also a very challenging one. The third chicken and egg challenge is, of course, fundraising. People want, in this part of the world, investors want to invest when they can see results. But without results, you can't raise. But without money, you can't show results. So this is the third chicken and egg uh, conundrum that the founders need to face. And that is very different. Uh, from my time as a policy policymaker, being a startup founder is probably the most real and probably the most real as in realistic experience, professional experience I've, I've ever gotten. It really uh, helps those policy words jump off the page when you have to abide by them, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so of the three chicken and egg challenges that you outlined, was there one that you think you've met with particular creativity or particular success? I, would, I wouldn't say success because I think we're still students of entrepreneurship. Like really, it's difficult. Intellect is still in the process of growing and every month we are, we are learning new things. I would say all three. I, I, I especially highlighted these three because these three are the most difficult challenge that a founder can face. And if any, and if any leader in a particular, in, in any startup, we have to do these three things. Anyone shielded from these three uh, cannot really call themselves an entrepreneur at all. Absolutely agree with you. So that's really interesting. I think you are right. We are all always students of entrepreneurship. If you are, to bring back that example before, if you are a person sitting in the office at 2 a.m. thinking, I have this great idea I'd like to pursue and I don't know whether I should leave my job and, and start this kind of whole new scary experience. What would be some of the key pieces of advice you would give to that person? I, 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 I think I'll outsource this. The, the answer. No, there's somebody has already answered this. And there's a lot of literature out there. And, and I agree wholly with most of this, uh, whatever that's been written out there. I think Justin Khan actually shared a series of tweets recently about whether or not a person should leave their job to do, to do a startup. And I agree with him. Number one, when it's just an idea, we need to really find out what is our own career vision. Is it a pull or a push factor? Do we really want to pursue the idea or is it because we find law practice unsuitable for the particular individual? That, that's the first question. Number two, do you have a co-founder? Number three, have you speak, spoken to potential customers to have a sense of what is the market response. So I think all this preparation uh, needs to be done before really jumps out of their job to pursue uh, a business or a startup, a startup business. Absolutely. And I guess you highlighted the co-founding um, aspect there. How important has a really strong co-founding relationship been for, for you and your team? Oh, I think that's absolutely probably one of the most important aspects of a startup entrepreneurship. I know my co-founder since we were kids, uh, our, our parents are friends, so we are, we are family friends. She was studying in the States and was involved in the startup scene in the States for a while before she returned home. So in that particular year, she came to my place during Chinese New Year and I shared with her my experience in the National Research Foundation in the venture capital policy space. And I told her about my side project about wanting to build the startup. And she was also looking for something to continue her passion in startup building then. So we decided to start to do it as a side project at night and during the weekend to start hacking things up, speaking to customers before we start up uh, full time. 
And I think that process a lot because this is the first time we have we've worked together. And and, and I think that part-time experience is, is is important. And the foundational trust from growing up together also played a very important part for us to still stick together after six years. Finding the co-founder, I think, is probably one of the most important decisions that any startup founder has to make. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Well, thank you very much, Chang, for joining us on the show today. Uh, all the best with Intellex and all the best with Finrec. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.